Hey, hey, welcome back to the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and today I'm hanging out with an expert on Agile leadership. In this episode, we delve into the secrets of what makes a great Agile leader, the key characteristics of good leadership, and we play a game of Agile Leadership Bingo. Get ready to join us on the ride, and don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Here we go. Great to have you back with us today on the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm Chris Stone, your friendly neighborhood virtual agile coach. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming someone who helps agile leaders to redesign their organizations and find ways that they can be better together. A breaker of silos, a culture shifting techie food and wine nerd. Welcome to the show, Shital. How are you today? Hi. Hi, Chris. Lovely to meet you. And yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Lovely to see you again. Even. <laughs> what am I saying? Good to see you again. Yeah, the, the third time in about three weeks because, folks, we've been trying to get Chatel on the show for a while. We finally made it happen. Uh, but what also happens, we have tech issues. We've had uh, pushbacks and all sorts of things like that. But we're here today. That's the important thing. We're praying with the podcast gods that the tech behaves with us today. So, Chatel, for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us about you and your journey with Agile. Yeah. So, I guess my journey began very long time ago I won't say when um, but it started where I engaged in the world of work as a developer Um, I used to work very long hours and I used to find uh, myself always quite stressed and always feeling out of my depth when it came to you know delivering work and I didn't quite understand nor get my head around the fact that things took so long in the work world whereas I was also working as a freelancer where I was able to deliver same kind of things I was doing inside of work, outside of work, but faster. And one of the things I found, um, and I'm actually quite happy to share this, was um, there was a big struggle. And that big struggle started when I was working for a retail bank. I won't name, I won't name any names, I don't want to do that. Um, again, this was back in the day, so we're talking well over 20 years ago now. And I found myself in a position where um, <clears throat> so it's a bit of a hard on this. I found myself in a position where I was micromanaged. So I was working very closely with the product owner. I was working very closely with the other web developers. And I was working very long hours with this product owner as well. So the two of us would work side by side and get things delivered. And when I did that, I was told that I was working inefficiently and I was actually not capable of doing this role. When actually I was delivering far more (laughs) in comparison to my colleagues. So to put it in a nutshell, I was actually being bullied in the workplace where everything I did was not correct. And I was being reprimanded for something as small as not putting a full stop on a page, like copy errors. Um, which I'm sure many of us actually have made. Um, so anyway, that led me down a bit of a spiral where I didn't know if I was in the right place, I didn't know if I was doing the right things, but then I was determined to kind of keep going. And then I found myself working in London. And there the world was very, very different. It was fast-paced, it was on point, but it was also very, very long hours, which then led to burnout. So there was another experience. I soon left that job in London and decided that uh, I'll work for a smaller business and smaller company. And that's where I discovered Agile. And 
while I was there, this was Kanban. This is where I discovered Kanban. So it was the freedom to pick a ticket off the wall, work on it, and have nobody disturb you around it, but also collaborate at the same time. So explain what you're doing, but it's not part of being micromanaged. It's something very different in that it's just saying and demonstrating your progress. So that was a real game changer for me. And I really, really enjoyed that job. However, soon after, it was obviously as a contractor, it was time to leave. So I, I left that role and I got headhunted to a job in France. There, they were trying to adopt Scrum. Now, at this point, I'd heard about Agile, I'd run Kanban, so I was fairly familiar with it, but I wasn't that familiar with it. So the, I was working with a Scrum master and he was very keen on implementing Scrum. So he just started, I just started, we were trying to find our feet. This guy was out of his depth, he'd never done Scrum Mastery before. He was an ex-developer and he did not know what he was doing. So I put my hand up and I said, hey, I've done Agile before, I can help you. And so obviously he really kind of like embraced that idea and I was like, okay, let's do it. I had no clue what I was doing, I'd never actually done Scrum. So the first time we actually decided to plan poker together, I completely failed. But then it was such a steep learning curve, I literally threw myself at the deep end, learnt all of the agility, agile ways of working. I started with DSTM, I learned about Lean, I learned about Scrum, I went back and learned about Kanban, and then I went all in guns blazing. And we managed to transform seven teams while we were there. And that was my, my turning point, my big introduction to Agile. Sorry, a bit long, but uh, that's me. Quite the journey, bit of a bit of a saga. And I'm I'm so glad that you've you've <laughs> you've shown so much tenacity to overcome. Obviously, some some difficult situations with uh, the unfortunate situation you you were in 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 a previous yeah. life, uh, and here you are. You've experienced lots of different ways of doing agile. Now, I know there's a there's a topic you're very keen on, which is obviously agile leadership. How would you define agile leadership, and what are some of the key characteristics? So agile leadership, I think the reason why I'm in this space as well in particular is because I really believe that when you're leading, you need to lead your people. You need to be the best person you can be to show people how to actually get by, get by their work, day to day work. Um, but from a point of view where a leader shares their vision, the leader shares what they're looking for, they also become and share the values that they seek in an organization. They are representations of the values in an organization. So from that point of view, a leader is not someone who commands people and controls them. I really am against that. And I think that stems from my old world a little bit. Um, but uh, let me just give you an example of a leader, actually. So one of the places I worked, we worked with a product lead. And he was fantastic. And he was, what I would say, a great leader. He would sit with us as a team. He would always be available to answer any questions we had. He was always empathetic to anyone struggling with the work that they were doing. And he was always just available. I think that's the biggest thing here, but communicative. Like he would always be back and forth. And he was so passionate about the product that he knew, he knew it inside out. And he helped people who didn't know what they were doing. So it was that support. He enabled their growth and supported their growth and made sure that people had all the tools and the kind of um, processes in place that was necessary to get this product to a place of success. And that, to me, is good leadership. 
this passion, this drive, it's knowing the vision and actually sharing that vision as well. So it's uh, from your perspective, it's that, that clear articulation and alignment of people around a vision alongside creating an environment where they can succeed, they can deliver what it is we're trying to Absolutely. deliver. There's a favorite quote of yes. mine uh, by Admiral Grace Hopper, and she says, we lead people, we manage resources, we manage things. Okay? Exactly. exactly. And that's what I always come to whenever I hear people, and, and consultancies in particular are, are very guilty of this, but I hear them describing people as resources or, hey, we need to get another resource off the bench or, you know, we could deliver this if we had more resources. I'm always like, well, what do you mean there? Do you, do you need pens, paper, desk chairs, inanimate yeah. objects, things that are disposable, <laughs> things that you can throw away? Or do you mean do you need some additional capabilities, some additional skills, you need some more people to help you out? Uh, and it's a really easy mm -hmm. flow diagram, isn't it? Do you mean people? If yes, say people. Do you mean things? Yeah, say things. Say the things you need. Absolutely. They say things. Definitely. Totally in agreement with that. So Agile, you described a great story of, uh, of, of an Agile leader from your own experience. That, that, that person who was, who was exemplifying for you Agile leadership. How do you measure the success of Agile leadership in an organization? What are the signs? So the signs of success are high, high levels of productivity. Um, teams who are working well together so there's there's a sense of kind of synergy in a team there's a dynamic where people are working together without actually needing their leaders present so there's this heartbeat that's you know working for for the, the delivery teams for example um yeah i think it it's also speed so, sorry, I'm thinking out loud here. So, yeah, speed of delivery. So, for example, if you're in a place where there's decent leadership, one, you're going to have a sense of purpose. The second thing is, is that because you've got a sense of purpose, you're going to actually be more focused in the work that you're doing. When you're more focused in the work that you're doing, you're more likely to be producing better results. So you're actually delivering against quality over quantity. So you may not be delivering everything all at once. That doesn't work. Um, but you might be delivering a, a better level of quality. And if you're delivering at a better level of quality with a customer in mind, for example, and you're product focused, then what you're doing is you're actually delivering a high quality product as well. Because a good leader is going to encourage the delivery teams to build something that they are passionate about as well. So they carry that passion forward and they invoke it into their teams it's injected into their teams as well and i think that is a good measure of success is where the teams come together they work together and they've got their own mission that they are clearly working on that can then allow for things to reach markets at a reasonable pace at a good pace at a higher level of quality than just spitting things out and churning things out as you would do in a, in a organization space so from your perspective, it sounded to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, sounded like you were saying that where there's good agile leadership, you'll have more of the right things being built over lots of the wrong things being built efficiently. Absolutely, exactly that. You're on point now. Because that's always a, a frustration of mine when there's too much focus on speed and productivity and like velocity and things like that. And let's let's... It's, uh, it's, it feels arbitrary, but let's 
continuously get faster at what we deliver. There's nothing wrong with focusing on pace, but it shouldn't come at the cost of building the right thing. I would honestly rather have slower pace because there are there's no single customer out there that cares how many story points you deliver. Absolutely. They care about how your products helps them, how it makes them feel. Yeah. They don't necessarily care how efficiently it is, unless unless it's a you know a client of yours and, and yeah you, you need something for it for a, a certain deadline. Again, those are somewhat arbitrary, but it's better to build the right thing that a customer actually wants, actually needs, that helps them, that makes their life better, that makes them feel a certain way, than is just to continuously churn out features. Exactly, exactly. And that's that you just hit the nail on the head. It's customer centric. So a leadership, a leadership that actually allows their people access to real customers so they can test the product before it goes live. I think they're the true innovators in most organizations. Um, I just really want to put that out there as well. So I'm going to build on that further. What I'd like to reinforce myself is not just allow people to do that, but to encourage it to say, hey, I would rather us measure ourselves on how frequently we engage with our customers, how much we demonstrate we're building the right thing for them, with them, alongside them, as opposed to just allowing them to have a conversation with a customer, for yeah. example, but to encourage it. We want that. We would. That's the behavior we want. If you, I, I love it when customers say, we're, or companies say, hey, we're customer-centric. Demonstrate that. How are you customer-centric? Because it's just, it's just lip service otherwise. Absolutely. And a good example of that, actually, is the... Um... The company Saab, so I'm giving you some free promo here now. <laughs> they are building fighter jets, and their customers are on site testing those fighter jets before and feeding back on them as well before they actually go into the market. And that's I think that's amazing. They've actually hired customers. I think that's great. That, that's what I describe as citizen developers. You know, if you, if you can get a customer or multiple customers to rotationally. Uh, be part of the teams building the products. You've got a much higher chance of actually building something that they want or that they need, and and, and you'll reduce risk that way by catching wasteful efforts mm. earlier, That's and it. therefore the bottom line is directly impacted. So the closer we can get to customers, uh, there's a, there's a, a a great technique I, I use called days since last, right? And the way days since last works is you just periodically check in with a team or even a company and say, hey, hey when you you list out a series of events. How many days has it been since we last spoke to a customer? How many days mm, has it been like since that. we last performed a, a health check of some kind? How many days has it been since we reviewed our definition of done or, or our quality criteria? These sorts of things. And the longer it's been since these events have happening, it's not necessarily a, a negative, but it's, it's a sign. It's a, a bit yeah. of a leading indicator because mm. just like if you don't go to the dentist for a long time, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got a problem, but you've got a higher chance of having a problem if you've not been for a long time because you won't have had the the hygiene checks and you won't have caught problems exactly. early before they become bigger problems absolutely spot on yeah totally agree with you it's yeah. time for a game to tell okay. give it a go give it a go let me know how yes, it works yes I will I will yeah absolutely you've just given me a really good, good idea and I'm going to take that away and I'm going to try it nice right it's time for a game agile leadership bingo Okay, Love so what I'm going to do uh, in the same way that bingo typically works, obviously bingo, you'll call out numbers. And if you've got that number, you'll make a mark on your scorecard and say, I've got it. I'm going to call out some common challenges relating to agile leadership, almost like impediments. Okay. And okay. I'd like you to share if you've experienced that and also any ways that you can circ circumvent that particular problem. Okay. Okay, sure. All right. So number one. 
unrealistic expectations about Agile? Okay, so Agile, I think there's a common word. They think it's a silver bullet. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the end of the day, Agile is a framework and a series of guidelines that you can follow to help deliver a product or a service. It's not going to increase your profits overnight. It's not going to increase your productivity overnight. And it's certainly not going to get your team working in a decent heartbeat in a cadence overnight. All of this takes work. And it's all about picking one, the right framework, and two, making sure that you've got all your ducks in a row, at least some of your ducks in a row, and of some kind of vision and sort of a series of kind of ideas that you want to then put forward. Not only that, Agile works well when you've got decent processes in place. Agile works well if you've got the right mindsets in the group, uh, of the team. Um, Agile works well when you've got your product owner by your side. And Agile works really well if you've got the leadership on board. Without all these out outside interconnecting needs, you, it, it's not, it's not going to give you the results you're looking for. It's a very I hope I painted a wrong picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very common one. So the expectation that Agile will solve all our problems, it's that silver bullet, as you say, yeah. that panacea. I'm going to inject Agile into my company and suddenly we're a hey, beautiful we're agile. agile butterfly we're done <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't work that way i the, what, the way i describe agile is it helps bring about a series of feedback loops sh ideally shorter that may be to learn how things are going mm -hmm. and using that data you can adjust your approach you can pivot you can yeah. alter your trajectory and give yourself a better chance of succeeding so in fact what may happen when you start behaving in an agile way when you start implementing certain ways of working you'll actually probably start spotting problems far quicker. Mm -hmm. And that's a good yeah. thing because you can catch them early. You can avoid them becoming too big an issue. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really common one. And yeah. it, it requires yeah, a bit of a, a realignment of expectations with those that you're working with. And one of the best ways of doing that is just letting people know, hey, it's an experiment. We're trying something. Exactly. We're seeing exactly. how it goes. We're going to learn from it. We're going to adjust. It's not this commandment that we're all agile henceforth and, you know, it's set in stone, but it's something that we're going to try and see how it works for us and ultimately find our way of doing Absolutely. agile. Absolutely. I was going to say that. I was going to say the same thing. It's not textbook. You can use the textbooks to help create some guide rails, work on it, and then find your way. It's a bit like driving a car. You know, when you first learn how to drive a car? You learn how to, you know, put the car into gear, learn the clutch control, learn your brakes, learn your accelerators, you know, learn how to go into gear. But once you're driving, you start to drive in, you, you start to create your own style, don't you? And then soon enough, you know, you're like Schumacher and you're like speeding down the motorway or whatever, but, uh, you know, you become confident. And that's a little bit like Agile as well. It's like you're first learning, it's like also learning a language, isn't it? So you're not going to be fluent straight away. But as time goes on, you get better. And it gets better with you. Another one I like is it's a bit of a scaffolding, you know, how you're building a house or you're repairing your house and you've got the scaffolding on the outside. Mm -hmm. And that's a temporary thing. It's a bit of a structure that helps in the in the in the short term, but then you can remove that and find that's what it. works for you. Exactly. All right, so you've experienced that one. Let's try the next one. Too many priorities. Oh dear. Too many priorities, one person to do the job, right? <laughs> so how do you manage it so come on 
nothing is always okay one thing i use is the analogy it's not necessarily heart surgery i've actually made the mistake of saying that in the wrong place but that's another story for another time but typically what we're working on doesn't necessarily have to be delivered yesterday now everything is going to be a priority it's just you've got to put things into perspective some things are going to be high priority you've got to really think about those these kind of things and i really enjoy the cost of delay on that note and that is you know you think about does it deliver some some value how urgent is it is it time time sensitive and there's a third option what was it uh have it for small things i've forgotten how to do cost of delay oh my god <laughs> Um, uh, risk risk reduction and opportunity enablement. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and customer value. You know, so is there an opportunity? So when we get to the market, what impact does it have to the customer? Um, if we slow down that delivery, what impact would it have? Or if we got it out to market, what the impact is? So it's about kind of really weighing up the impact of what it is you're trying to deliver to really then learn how to prioritize things and. Uh, I really enjoy, you know, putting in place different types of prioritization techniques. Another good one's Moscow. It's a simple, easy one to do, you know, so anything are your must. The only risk around that is that it's not easy to measure the risks around it. So you're not always going to be concentrating on risks. It's more about, okay, what is the most pressing thing versus what is a nice-to-have kind of thing. And also, everything often ends up being a must-have because people don't like letting go yeah. of things that should be. Exactly. Maybe it should have, but no. And people don't say no to anything. Saying no isn't a bad thing, folks. Too many priorities is such a common one. Everything's a priority and therefore nothing is a priority. And, nothing and it just causes frustration. It causes low morale. It causes context switching all the time because it's difficult to see which is the clear priority. I'm in favour of fewer priorities than having many. A maximum of kind of three, I think, is a good one for a, a certain... It depends on your on your time frame. Another good analogy I often give for having too many priorities, uh, and it's it's a similar to the one that I give when I'm talking about uh, the capacity that a team has to deliver in a time frame, so mm. at least to velocity as well. I'll often hold up two glasses. I'm holding up on, on the camera for anyone watching on YouTube right now. Uh, two glasses, and in that glass, I will say, this is your capacity to deliver in a time frame. So this could be your capacity for all the priorities you've got. And obviously you can make your glass bigger by having more people. But that's, you know, you can't infinitely make your glass bigger. And the top of this is the, the limit of your capacity. So if you keep pouring more things in, it it'll overspill. And that's yeah. where you get things like uh, morale and burnout, morale issues and burnout yeah. and, uh, and, other, and other problems like that. Now, I love using this scenario. I just hand, hand a leader in particular two cups one filled with hot coffee and one that's empty i say right this is what happens if you keep pouring into that it will spill and they will always stop before it lands on them because they want to burn themselves but that's that's what it's about it's like it's demonstrating that too many priorities are harmful more than helpful absolutely yeah yeah i mean there was uh again i won't mention any names but there was a company that i worked with not long ago they were having a big problem around high turnover they're like, Satan, we don't get this. We, we're losing so many engineers. We don't understand why. We said, okay, let me find out what's going on. So I did a, did a few interviews, did a bit of research, and I kind of really dug deep into the ways of working with these, these teams. Too much coming in. That was it. There was nothing else to it. Just lots of demand. No, no kind of prioritization techniques around it at all. And no thought coming through as to, you know, what, what's really, really urgent versus what, what can we just even throw away? 
it's not good for you. It's not healthy. Absolutely not. Okay, next one. A lack of retrospection. Now, this happens even amongst leadership and commonly amongst leadership. They don't mm-hmm. pause to reflect. So have you experienced mm-hmm. this and how would you try and navigate it? Yes, uh, all the time. <laughs> what? I don't do these things. I'm too professional for that. You know, no, you're not. <laughs> um, nobody's too professional to pause, reflect and think about how they feel things have gone over the last course of one week, two weeks, one month, doesn't matter. Reflect, look back and really think about what's going well and bring more of that forward. Think about what's not going well and seek out your, seek out your solutions to those problems, whatever they may be. And look, look at you know, where there's any opportunities as well. Look for the gaps, look for any knowledge gaps. Look, just look and reflect. Um, I can't I'm a huge advocate of retrospectives, and I, I actually, if I'm honest, it makes me cringe when I hear even development teams, but even leadership teams say, we haven't got time for that. If you haven't got time for that, then you're not improving. And I think retrospective is one location, one safe space, if you create a safe space, to get better, improve, continuously. And I know that's a buzzword I'm using, but it's a fact. So that's what it's for. It's to help us reflect on not only our team, but also how we're doing inside the work that we're doing as well. And I highly, highly encourage anyone who's listening, who's working in the senior leadership world, to start thinking about doing their own retrospectives as well, if you're not already doing it, because it's so invaluable. Completely. To me, it's the the one thing that shouldn't be omitted the one thing that shouldn't be cast aside if you get those right everything else will follow i describe uh the key to agility being continuous improvement and the key to continuous improvement being retrospective so it's so frustrating when i hear leaders talking about either not having time for retrospectives or believing they're only for teams Mm. only for the development teams building things because as you say if they're not doing that they're not pausing to reflect on how things are going they're not giving themselves the opportunity to identify improvements and they're making uh, a continuous improvement the, the responsibility of just those delivering rather than exemplifying that behavior themselves which as we know great leadership is exemplifying the behaviors you want other people Absolutely. to exhibit yourself yeah yeah all right let's cover another one then fear of failure aha love one and that's one of my favorite topics um it's not failure and if anyone is afraid of failure, then they're afraid of learning. So that's one one big message I want to put out there. If you're scared of failing, it means you're afraid of learning. Because that's, that's the one place I've learned. I've learned everything the hard way by throwing myself in the deep end, getting things wrong time and again, to then be where I am today. And I think if it wasn't for those failures, I don't think I'd be here today because I would have just stayed in my comfort zone. Fear of failure means that you're not afraid, you're afraid of coming out of your comfort zone. Try things, experiment with them, make mistakes, but just don't do it during heart surgery. That's probably what I'll say. <laughs> for anyone who's a practicing heart surgeon out there, just in case, don't fail. Never. It's not okay. No, I mean, <laughs> clearly, clearly you have to, you have to learn, but... You've got to be. Yeah. This is why there's certain um, guardrails in place to avoid these situations happening in high risk scenarios, right? So, exactly. But but interestingly, one of the safest industries there are, are is the aviation industry, which is responsible for a huge amount of people's lives. And yeah. the one of the reasons they are so successful 
uh, is that they they welcome failure. They, they they have very regimented processes to avoid failure happening. They can they are always seeking opportunities to learn, yeah. as opposed to hiding from it and and it being a stigmatized thing. Because as soon as we stigmatize failure, people won't open up to their failures. They won't talk mm. about them. And therefore, if we're not talking about our, our failures or our mistakes, we're probably doomed to repeat them. And therefore, yeah. obviously, that's going to cause errors and wasteful effort. And again, low, uh, low morale. Yeah. And I feel like this is where our schools and I guess our colleges and maybe our universities to some degree have pretty much let us down from that point of view because failure has been seen to be a bad thing. Like, for example, you know, you may have failed your GCSE. That's a terrible thing. However, to put it... If you think about it, there's a lot of people out there who may have not got their GCSEs, but they're successful entrepreneurs. You know, they've still gone ahead and made something of themselves. You know, and I think that's that's probably where the mistake came from. Should I say? <laughs> Did it come from there? I don't know. There's a there's a story I can tell you about exactly that scenario. So, one of my proudest accomplishments, or in fact, one of the pieces of paper I'm most proud of. It's not my two degrees. I've got a piece of paper from my GCSE year at school showing that I had, uh, I, I, I failed basically. I had like, I had a U, a U is ungraded for anyone in, uh, who's not in the UK, a U in a couple of subjects. I had 53% attendance in my final year of school because I didn't really get on with it. And it meant that GCSEs wise, I didn't particularly do very well. It hasn't stopped me being successful. It hasn't stopped me going on to university. It hasn't stopped me going on to be an entrepreneur. It hasn't yeah. gone on to stop me from from enjoying the work that I do. Now, schooling, as you said, at, at certain ages, will put a lot of pressure on people. You must get these GCSEs right, and it will influence the whole trajectory of your career. And yes, it is very, uh, it will he- very heavily impact that. But it's not the end of the world if it goes wrong. So one of the things yeah. that I do is I, I go back to uh, schools, and uh, and, and the, the 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 route I took was for a high national diploma. I go back to the college, South Downs College, back in in, in Portsmouth. And I'll go and speak to people and let them know, hey, if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. You're going to be fine because you can turn it around. There isn't that, you know, there's a lot of pressure, but it's not going to stop you being successful. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah, there's so many people out there that, you know, may not have done so well in school or come to uni, but here, you know, they've done so well in life in general. So it's not for everybody, but then also there's the academics where it does work as well. So, you know, it, it's all about following your passion, I think, as well, to some degree. I'm going to say you've scored a full bingo on my bingo Yay. card there, which is, you've celebrated it. Let's let's call it celebrating failure. Good stuff. All right. So uh, we love to amplify new voices here, Chatel. So who is out there doing great work that others should be aware of? Are there any, are there any names that you can, you can give us? There is, yes. Uh, there's a lady named Gweth. Oops, sorry. Pronounce her name, so I actually happened to look her up properly so I get her name right. Her name's Gweno Half Hughes. She is an amazing agile coach. Um, she actually did a talk with us at uh, one of our meetups um, when she started during COVID. And I think this woman is really worth chatting to. She's bubbly, she's lively, she's just got this affection, addictive character. That's that's the way to describe it. She's she's just brilliant. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send her your details on her LinkedIn to you so you can connect with her because she's just fantastic. Next time I need an agile hit, I will uh, look her up because you said addictive. Let's do that. All right. Anyone else? Um, oh God, I could, I could name loads. Um, Elaine Titinegro. Um, I'm actually working with her. 
she's she's not an agile coach, she's actually a head of transformation now. But she really does know her stuff and she'll be I think she'll be fantastic on the podcast. I met Elaine at uh, Lean Agile London about uh-huh. two months ago, maybe a month oh, and a half okay, ago. Okay. We've been talking about catching up for a while and we, we finally managed to have a little chat. So I will I will reach out to her as well. Yeah, no, she's brilliant. Right. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your work, Chatel, if they are keen to learn? So I hang out on LinkedIn a fair bit. So you can find me on LinkedIn, that's for sure. Um, I do have my own website. Um, that's chatelpacker.com. Um, I am starting a new business uh, that's called attingconsulting.com. Um, so that's coming into play. That's all about um, agility in the sex world. So it's all about coaching executives and the world of agility. Um, and more than anything, I would really be delighted to invite you all to my meetup group, which is Agile Expertise. Um, it's something that's very close to my heart because it's the place where I'm able to invite wonderful speakers, including Chris, um, who I'd love to have you back again, by the way, Chris. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's where you can find me. And I'd be delighted to kind of have you join the, the, the meetup group because that's where I look to always invite some of the best speakers in town. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing your your wisdom and insights with us on the show today. Before you go, folks, listen up. Fellow Agilists, if you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, then hit that follow or subscribe button. If you find value in this episode, be a pal and share it with someone who else who might enjoy it. And as always, don't stop believing, folks. Thanks again for joining us, Chatel. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.